From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. The system which I was uh, lucky to use as a young engineer was an EOS system, it was an M270. Uh, so I got in contact with one system and this was the first one from EOS uh, and it worked well. So that's why I, I got connected and, and I, I wanted to, to see more, to see more systems, more uh, business cases um, and to see the world because traveling is part of my life. Uh, as I mentioned, I always kind of learned how to integrate and in different cultures. So, so it's something what I really like to do. That was Gregor Rieschel. After extensive experience in the AM industry, Gregor recently started his own consulting company called AM Entrepreneur. Gregor started his career in the manufacturing space in the dental industry. He spent a number of years at EOS working as an application engineer and an AM consultant. From there, he moved on to TUV Sud to be the global head of industrial additive manufacturing. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Stitcher. All right. Thank you so much for joining the episode today. I'm excited for the conversation. I think we met a few years ago at Formnext, but it's been a while since we caught up. And uh, like I do with with all my guests, I, I like to provide some context for kind of where people are from, kind of what they're, what kind of... Uh, young Gregor was like, and uh, kind of let you, let's start from there and we'll get into a lot of the good work you're doing in the additive space. So kind of where you're from, where you grew up, kind of what got you down the path of, of, of manufacturing. So today I'm 44 years old, um, actually turning tomorrow, 44 years old. Oh, well, happy early birthday. Um, so perfect timing. And uh, I just in process to, um, to found my own startup and owning my own company since uh, four, year, four months. I am an additive since over 12 years, um, in Germany since 30 years, and was born in Poland in 1998, uh, 78, <laughs> and um, emigrated to Germany with 11 years old. So I made all this journey how it, of integration in the new cultural environment. Um, learn language, learn <clears throat> how to, you know, uh, survive in Germany, how to, um, I got full my education actually in Germany from a craftsmanship, I am a dental technician by, by uh, education, so um, then I did this job till 25, so I did with my hands, uh, crowns and bridges and such uh, devices, which um, belongs in the in the human mouth so you were uh, making then, you were making them like kind of um yeah. fabricating yeah. them okay cool yeah 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 and that's actually um brought me this brought me then on a later stage to uh, to the use of additive manufacturing and 3d printing but it was this interconnection of different materials and technologies in one work in one device so so this it's very interesting because you connect metal, plastics, and ceramics. So in general, and then I studied uh, diploma engineering in, in Osnabrück in Germany. And uh, after the study, I got the first uh, 
metal machine in my hands, uh, so additive manufacturing system, and we started to uh, print crowns and bridges, which is today the I think the most successful business case for additive manufacturing globally, where millions of crowns and bridges are printed um, on monthly basis. Yeah, there are so many systems installed, and and therefore I just learned that. It flies and it works if you quality assure the processes and make them reproducible. So just directly after my study with my first job in editive, and then I continued with, with this mindset uh, with EOS for seven years, traveled around the globe and visited the biggest um, manufacturers and labs uh, in China, India, USA, um, wherever manufacturing happened at that time and in large scale in dental, I visited those customers uh, and I, I saw this cultural differences in, in using AM systems as well and, and mindsets and how to set up production lines. Um, yeah, so this was um, for seven years, uh, great to experience. And then I started the consulting unit at EOS, Additive Minds. I was one of the first consultants for EOS. And we incubated this consulting mindset in the industry that, that it's not just about technical requirements and R&D. It's as well to understand the, how to implement the processes as a consultant. Um, yeah, and this, this led me to um, develop a quality assurance system for the industry. Uh, and this quality assurance system, I was consulting for AOS. Uh, at that time, it's called AMQ, Additive Manufacturing Quality. And then I changed to TÜV, which is a certification body, because uh, certifying quality from a machine manufacturer point of view is, is kind of a, um, not neutral or not, let's say, independent. So that's why it makes sense to, to do it as a third independent party and and so i changed to tuf suit and developed that for the first tick company testing special certification um and there we we did that as well on a global basis um i did that for four years and right now i'm yeah i finally ended up to to open my own company and and continue the journey of am implementation so for me in life is as well about Making it happen, yeah? making it happen with the technology and and contribute to to industrialization and and great business model models and sustainability. Awesome. So I got a ton of questions, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna start <laughs> start early on. So yeah. can you talk more about kind of the the dental piece? So um, for those who may not be familiar, I mean, most people have been to a dentist and kind of understand the concept of crowns and bridges, but like yeah. why? What was the the pre three D printing state of of how these things were made and like what what was like mm -hmm. what problem did did three D printing solve from kind of your experience both having to make these and then kind of seeing all the additive go into it? Yeah, um, so the the business I think it's for sure over one thousand years old. So people are getting artificial teeth uh, since since 100 years and, and more. And um, educational-wise, it's very um, clear program how to copy the nature. So that you copy actually as a dental technician the teeth and, and use plastics, ceramics, or metals for it. It's a small device 
very small and it's always custom made. So small and custom made makes a, already a kind of a potential use for 3D printing. But, um, but it is, if it's educated for, for so many years that you, you do it by your hand and you box, maybe I show, show a part in the camera. So you see here uh, one platform which is manufactured with crowns and bridges. And this, this platform is, uh, is full of single devices. These are so-called crowns. So this device was made by hand, one for roughly half, half an hour till one hour. And right now we can print it for, for less than three euro or three dollars. Yeah? So, so this craftsmanship is disrupted by technology. And, and that's an interesting piece yeah? because we, we, and it's even better in quality. So the, the 3D printed parts are fitting better, are more reproducible and, and are cheaper. So, so that's why it, it happened. Yeah. yeah. And, and then the other piece of it too is I've had the chance to go in and to see one of the, fa- like these factories that are doing a lot of things by hand to make aligners and, and using some 3D printing. But I think what I was overwhelmed by um, is the fact that, yes, 3D printing by its nature is good at small customized things. To, the machine is good at doing that. You don't need the tooling, but the data and the paper trail and the quality to try and map all of that, because you've got hundreds of patients, the the geometries are all unique. There's different files coming in, there's different builds. So that was, uh, thinking about that at the scale of dental is, um, uh, is it's a lot to, to take in, in terms of like, how do you take this machine that's very good at cutting down labor time and cutting down cost. But there's all these other pieces that you just need to, to make sure you keep a track of along the way. For sure, yes. So, um, you know, the industry always tries to sell the benefit, right? So all you can print it uh, straight away and it's uh, free, free euros costs, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I was just talking about half an hour human labor for this part of the crown. Of course, there's still the human labor remaining, um, but you can't get half an hour human labor for three euro or three dollars. That's that's difficult. Maybe in certain parts of the world it still works for sure, but in general, in industrialized countries, it doesn't work anymore. So here is the disruption. And even if the entire product is not printed, yes, for sure it's not because there's still a human um, interaction to cut off the parts, mm, preparing the surface, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the part where half an hour is disrupted by technology still counts and is valid, and you can scale it and use it. Sure. And so, are there ad- additional? I mean, certainly there are medical device guidelines from a manufacturing perspective when you start to switch over to these um, these septic technologies, but you mentioned that there was a performance gain by using 3D printing. So was that a, a consistency thing, a, a fit and form yeah. benefit? What, what, how did that, that manifest itself? I think that the complexity of the original process or handcrafted process was just a little bit 
too too much. So every human to make reproducible results, educational wise, was so much effort, and it was so much easier to do that with with three D printing because it's data driven. So it's a scan settings, scanner settings, which plus minus resolution of the scanner. Then there's a design settings of plus minus of a design um, features of the crown. And that's everything is digitally monitorable. So you can track how the scanner worked. You can track how the design was done and how the printing process was done. And everything is data-based. Of course, there's still in between some, some possibility that, that the digital process chain can go wrong caused by human uh, or caused by a, a too low, um, 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 let's say quality monitoring efforts. But, but the complexity of the original process chain, conventional crown design is much more higher because you need to wax, you need to make the wall thickness right, you need to do a lost cast model, then you cast. The casting machine works like this because it's a ma usually manual process or partly manual. Um, then you need to deform. Um, yeah, you need to invest the wax model. So the, there's, and then you need to mill it and grind it and get it to the right wall thickness. The right wall thickness made by an wax and, and cast is, is difficult to detect as well. You can measure a cut file, an STL file uh, in seconds. Uh, such a ready finished crown, you need to tactile measure. So you, you need to measure it physically. Um, so there are so much failure potentials and that's why it was disrupted. And as well, the, the size of the part, it's, it's of course small. So it's the printing costs and material costs are low. So this, this came additionally as the major benefit. If this would not be the case, if the the material amount per crown would be higher because we do crowns for animals or, or bigger spots doesn't fly anymore. It's the, the core reason was were really the costs. The side benefits is the reproducible quality, which which was accepted. Right on. And so switching gears a little bit, I'm always curious of people's kind of transitions into 3D printing's companies. So like um I always joke with, with people around the industry that like, there's not really a brand name that you could ask my grandma, like, have you ever heard of EOS, right? Like it's the biggest company in the industry, but like nobody knows about it, right? It's one of these like manufacturing yeah. kind of generic names. So what was, how did you, how did you get to EOS? Like wh what was the first time that you heard about it? Like what was the, I mean, given it's a German company was like, there's, mm -hmm. um, was there more, marketing about it like what where would what was the the story behind that so the system which i was uh lucky to use as a young engineer was an eos system it was an m270 uh so i got in contact with one system and this was the first one from eos uh and it worked well so that's why I, I got connected and, and I, I wanted to, to see more, to see more systems, more uh, business cases, um, and to see the world because traveling is part of my life. Uh, as I mentioned, I always kind of 
learned how to integrate and in different cultures. So, so it's something what I really like to do. And, and that's why I, I used the chance to switch from, from this um, SME manufacturer uh, to uh, EOS uh, to travel around the globe and, uh, and do that uh, on a global scale. So what were some of your observations? You mentioned you'd kind of gone to facilities in India and China. Yeah. Um, I've not had the chance to do that. I've been around Europe and North America, and, uh, but yeah. kind of what are, uh, what are some of the, the key takeaways that, that you've seen over your career? So the, I think that the understanding of uh, quality and safety is, is a cultural individual thing and the, how you perform quality and safety measures. Uh, so educational-wise, Germany is, is kind of focusing those topics always. Um, <clears throat> Internationally-wise, it uh, it's really depends on the region and, of course, the company, how those are lived. So if you try to implement a reproducible quality of a printer where the effect to human is still a big portion of the process, um, it depends, of, of course, of this fact. So how well is, is the staff already ready to, to implement reproducible steps? Yeah? And because it's all about kind of reproducible steps unfortunately industrialization with human is always making the human doing the same task reproducibly which is not in our nature because we are i think creatively born <laughs> but in the additive manufacturing process we need to otherwise it's we we don't compensate um and and don't make sure that the production process is reproducible so and and this is all about education. So are we understanding general quality assurance measures as a human from, from maybe other industries? It's This is an old topic. It's not new. Uh, but the basis needs to be there. So, for example, China. Um, China is quite easy. So if, if you have uh, a commitment from the manufacturer to make it happen, and a team of people, you just need to guide. In China, you need just to guide and say, okay, let's do that like that and that, and the team will follow and they will do that. But you need to be very precise on what they need to do, and then they, they will do. You, you, you can bet for that. Uh, in, in other countries, there might be, if they are single individuals, like Europe, where they're not used to quality assurance, they will they will sometimes maybe not follow quality assurance guidelines because they think, oh, I can do better. Or, or if they are individual kind of persons which, which doesn't want to standardize processes because they want to stay, a, the, let's say, single competent person in the production line, then, then this is as well kind of cultural thing or... or strategic thing yeah, of, of a production line. So sometimes we have these senior experts in production lines, which doesn't want that, that their work is kind of transparent and, uh, and reproducible. So because they are the single head of a production line. Um, this is wonderful about China. You, this works quite well. So if you say, okay, this needs to be documented, so people do, but you need to invest much more time in in educating and, and saying exactly what you need. 
Um, India was was different. So the especially the safety thing was interesting. So uh, I have a very simple example. So for example, wearing the safety shoes, um, all the people in the factory are bar feet. Yeah. And then you have, have the safety recommendation. Ooh, you need to wear safety shoes and things. And 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 the culture is you you are bar feet in the factory. So then <laughs> things kind of doesn't match because everybody is bar feet. And then you need to implement kind of this crazy German rule. You need to wear safety shoes. This was far away from reality. Yeah? Um, but yeah, but things are changing. And as, as well, um, <clears throat> always, I, I believe that the tech, this is what technology brings as well, kind of an uh, intercultural exchange. So we could talk about it. And, and, and yes, we, we manage that, that safety, basic safety rules are followed. Um, so that's, that's wonderful about um, traveling with technology and educating uh, different cultures because you, you have one point to discuss with us how to make it happen reproducibility, reproducible and safe. Um, yeah. Uh, US, US is... Um, is I think fast and curious. Yeah, I see. You 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 implement fast, and some 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 solutions are kind of not there yet, but you are already at the market. And this is what I I love about US. So it's uh, there's fast progress, and there's an idea, and there's uh, execution. Um, so that's much more much more kind of forward to let's just try it rather than in Germany, we like to plan a lot and, 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 and define the well proper plan, which, which is as well on one hand side good. On the other hand, if your uh, time to market is, is different, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> so this uh, in the US, I, I visited two big companies and, and both kind of have their own inventions and, and ways how they optimize the technology um, to to make it better and improve it to be faster or or deliver better performance, uh, which was maybe not conform with the with the standard, but it helped to re to make their market happy or to reach new customers or or lower down the costs. And you mentioned kind of the additive minds piece as well. I mean, I started my kind of consulting company about 10 years ago now, um, mainly helping kind of along some of these lines where it's not just the machine that like you buy a machine and, and you're ready to go. There's all these nuances, whether it's quality or materials, and, um, uh, training, things like that, that, that come up. So, um, so, so what was, um, what were the observations kind of in those early days of, of additive minds and, and, mm -hmm. and EOS to, to, from the market that you might need something like that? I think first of all, for myself, what were, were to learn was to learn what consulting means. Because as an engineer, you, you are focusing on trainings and less on consultancy. <clears throat> um, and then to develop the consulting programs or, or, or consultative trainings, let's say so, yeah, which give the right impulses to the user's mind 
to, to bring him to the next level of thinking and enriching his ideas. Uh, and this was quite interesting to think, uh, of course, customer-centric, yeah, customer centricity and, and based with AM potential. So really combine the, the potential of the technology, which, which everybody quite fast feels if, if they start to work with additive because there are so many great examples of uh, what you can do with additive. Uh, but uh, transferring those into consultative models um, was really fun and and kind of innovative because nobody did it before. Yeah? So we 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 were free to create and think consultatively. Uh, therefore, of course, experienced consultants um, are important because they they did it already for other industries. Um, and so we could benefit from uh, from the leaders which were hired as well for their uh, consulting unit because they did it already a couple of times in other industries so we could benefit from their know-how and we as technology experts application engineers could transform ourselves to be consultants so fantastic time of course completely different of working style uh, and but enriching uh, personally and of course value for uh, broad value for the industry i believe so let's talk about that next transition then so out of eos you kind of transitioned outside the OEM world into more a broader kind of industry standardization kind of role. Yeah. So what, what was the draw there and, and how did that evolve? So mentioning and doing my uh, introductions at the AMQ additive manufacturing quality program, which I consulted, I qualified 10 companies globally um, for EOS uh, and then I recognize, okay, it's kind of a not neutral enough because companies are using as well another technologies. It's not just powder with fusion. So it's sometimes a mixture. Um, and that's why, and in parallel, I started my MBA education at TUM in Munich. So, and I recognize, oh, there's, there's a business design journey ev about everything, what we, what we generate newly. And I would like to try it from, from scratch. Uh, and there was, this big shout in the industry, we need certification. We, we need certification just to that our technology becomes on the same level as milling or casting or established other technologies through certification. So this was kind of this message at that time. And I said, oh, that's perfect because there's a pain, actively addressed pain. So I, oh, I can solve it via a new company to have suit. Uh, and the company was looking for, and then so I designed a business case for the company. I was hired, I designed a business case. Um, quite fast, I could convince um, internal stakeholders uh, to uh, develop the unit properly. So we hired people uh, in Germany, in Japan, in Singapore to, um, to do it on a global scale. And I defined our strategic roadmap, qualifying materials, hardware, software, processes, and um, investing into next-gen AM, so combination with other advanced manufacturing technologies. And this is basically what we did for four years. Um, some of the intentions were a little bit too early for the market. 
Uh, some of them went very well. So today, uh, Twiftsuit qualifies production lines in additive manufacturing. Uh, and in Germany, we have around 12 certified uh, manufacturers, which, which are um, certified according the standard, which I started at EOS and then continue to write at Twiftsuit uh, with DIN ISO ASTM. These are standardization organizations and they release standards. So we have independent standards, which everybody can use as a testing inspection certif certification house or an every auditor can use to audit other companies if they work uh, regarding state-of-the-art quality assurance. So um, two questions on that. So what's yeah. what, one, what's the standard standards called? And so the idea, yeah. and if you take this standard um, and the, you know, two sued would, um, go in, audit a facility to that standard. And then, Hey, they pass your third party testing organization. You can offer a certificate to that specific standard. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And this is how, how certification works. You need to have an independent standard, which you can put on a certification mark and then but that five, five years ago, as I started, there was no standard, which, right. which was useful. So I created this ISO ASTM 52920, which is a um, standard for industrial additive manufacturing production sites. And, and on parallel, we did the German one because it was quicker at that time. Um, and the ISO ASTM time at the global standard is now now in the final stage so i'm still finalizing it but it's it's released already and it can be and it can be portraised as a draft but will be uh released within a in few weeks as a final version awesome congrats <laughs> um, yeah thank you the um and the beauty of it, it it's it helps really the industry to um to at least cover a a huge portion of the human interaction with the technology as standardized so there's cultural influences of interpretation. How do I need to set up a production line are covered in the standards. So, and this comes back actually to my experience talking to Chinese, Indian, European, and US different people and great minds interpretation. Now we can cover this person for reproducible production lines in a standard. And that's the ISO STM 52920. How detailed does the standard get? So like, let's take medical manufacturing um, using metal, metal powder, just for instance. So would it say you need to have a standard operating procedure for material blending, material handling, or does it get into detail and say like, you need to mix, you need to label your lots like this. And um, if you blend yeah. it in, in the machine, out of the machine, like, yeah. is it more just like, it, it, almost a checklist to say like you need to have this operating yeah. procedure. I'm not going to tell you how to do it, but you need to, to at least document it. Yeah. So uh, first of all, um, there is a common process. There are common process seg segments around AM process category in use. Mm -hmm. um, so you have pre-processes, you have post-processes uh, and those are, are, for each technology, same schemes. There are same schemes. And those schemes we defined in the standards. And those 
can be or need to be quality assured if operated by human. Uh, if the technology has some monitoring solution, of course, we use that. Um, but of course, we can't cover each application and AM processes right. category specifics. So this is a downside if you just rely on one standard. That's why I'm just starting a, a next one, uh, a next standard. But let me finish the first one. So, so we have these process categories of pre-processes, which starts with, of course, CAD, CAM, uh, build process, then um, build process finalization steps, which still belong to an AM process category, like cooling down the SLS uh, prints. Um, this is actually in the, in the finalization step of build process. Uh, and then there's post-process. Post-process is, is standardizedly just part-specific steps, not relying on AM build processes specific finalization steps. This is standardized yet. So we make a here clear separation. That's important because um, we can now put in charge machine manufacturer who, who gives a system to the market with the claim it's reproducible in including the, this in-house made build process, post-process steps. So cooling down, et cetera, et cetera. Binder jetting, huge topic uh, because you have much more steps um, behind the build cycle. Uh, and, and everything which is below where the human interaction is, is, is at least mentioned in the standard. So, and, and there's a shell in front of, of each action. So it shall be documented that this task is done on with these and these parameters. So you, you kind of force the user of the standard to document his processes um, that, that they are measurable and traceable because then you can measure the human interaction with the technology. Um, for example, um, sieving of powders. Yeah, sieving of powders or recycling of powders. So there's a sieving step, then there is a force to control the sieve uh, on a regular basis and to define the regular basis. Um, there's a shell in front of recycling of the, of the materials um, to measure it and write down the amount of new powder which is used uh, in, the, in the old powder or used powder. So, so this this implementer of the standard needs to have it. If you don't, if you say you implement the five to nine to zero, you have it because it is audited um, by the third or can be audited by a third party, uh, and and yeah, it's 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 there, and it's not technology specific. It's not AM process specific. These are just, yes, if you use powder with fusion, there's powder, of course. But if you use other technologies, there's uh, either filament or resins um, or um, or fluids or other, uh, uh, let's say, media, which as well needs to be traced before putting in them into the machine, having them in a storage, storage condition monitoring. And these are all influencing factors on the final part quality. So we, we just put this chunk, which is controllable by human into a standard. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's super important. I mean, that's one of the reasons we created our, our software tool called trace <laughs> because of that, that piece that allows you like, there's so many different steps of the process, post-processing, pre-processing inspection, right? Like the amount of data variability, human interaction that come into play makes communication really important throughout that entire process and understanding the why, why are we measuring this or why are we moderating this? Why are we documenting this um, is, is challenging because there's just so many steps of the process and you have different people that are coming in at different times, whether it's a quality person or a materials person, a technician and um, quality control and, and all of that, it kind of wraps into, <laughs> into one operation. And it's a lot of work. I mean, it's to, to get all of that certified and organized and documented. Yeah. But understanding the why or and understanding the why <laughs> It's, it's all about the next standard, which I'm just starting, um, because we recognize, okay, with the ISO 52920, the level of, um, let's say, um, uh, technical deepness, it's not given because you have this AM process specific, we have a part specifics. So that's why I just starting a new standard, which helps to understand what, is, what are the risks of the AM process category. Powder bit fusion, minor jetting, direct energy deposition, um, material extrusion uh, process categories have different risks. And those risks very transparently displayed in the standard will, will help to under identify the why for the tracing. Because if we produce a part for a human body, which is, has the highest degree of criticality, of course, because it's implanted in a human body. So there's high risk. The future medical company will use the standard to, to identify the potential risks in the technology with the use for the implant. Um, and then they can identify, okay, here is a risk if I use powder with fusion powders because the reproducibility of the recycling process is in danger. So there's a possibility to implement and cause uh, um, a kind of a measure a measure on the risk to assure that this um, doesn't affect the part quality. Today, this is a huge kind of um, Pandora box, yeah, which, which is not defined. Tomorrow, we just started to define the risk mapping for AM process categories, which will help to transparently implement the technology um, and and put a measure on it yeah? and 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 it helps to unite kind of the fda so the notified bodies or TÜV in germany on to to understand what i need to audit and and take care of in if somebody uses powder bit fusion or other process category and it helps the user to be sure that he installs the right measures to to print reproduce visible and safe. Sure. And, and I was talking to Ryan Kircher from RMS. I don't know if you've crossed paths with, with him. He's very focused on the, the medical space. And, and we were talking about how the actual printing of the part, like that's such a small time frame in the history of the part, like from the design to the materials, the printing process, and then all the post-processing steps 
from a time perspective, it's almost one of the shorter time timeframes that can be very well controlled in an EOS system for the most part, like, you know, the machine settings, but everything that happens after is uh, machining and hipping and testing. Like that's, there's so much, so much after the fact that that could be uh, um, add variability into, into this. So the, the standardization process I think is, uh, is very important for the industry. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, so the time-wise, um, the human has more time around the, tech, uh, the building process to make more mistakes. Yes, that's why we, <laughs> we need to standardize it. On the other hand, if you look at the major difference of, of AEM technologies to other com compatible um, manufacturing technologies, the risk of our process is quite high um, because you know, forming material property on the voxel basis is not in the other technologies. It's kind of, there's, there's either casting, yes, you, you still kind of form a material property, which is undefined in a, in a huge casting metal frame, but it's over 1,000 years old. Yeah? In Egypt, there was casting already. Yeah? Um, like, uh, yeah, so these are over 2,000 years old. And, um so it's accepted and there are so many books and education about it. In additive, we still kind of an, as an, considered as an innovation in terms of in the manufacturing world. Uh, that's why we, we need to do everything what helps us faster to become on the eye level with the existing technologies like casting, milling and, and drilling uh, to, and the build process security and reproducibility is one of the major milestones. So that's why I, I highly encourage all build process monitoring solutions. Build process monitoring will, will help a lot with uh, really with their data to make our process uh, very transparent and, and traceable and, and secure yeah? that, that it, it can faster compete with existing um, conventional technologies. So kind of a, as we get towards the, the back end of the conversation, like what's it like being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur now? So starting your own company, your own firm. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, oh, um, I think there's, there's a huge lack of uh, understanding how business design works in the industry because we are very techie driven. So a lot of, let's say, technological uh, great minds um, develop engineers developing the next step what else can I design what what kind of design features design for am etc etc but bringing it to the business design level means we we kind of take the am potentials of design as well as, as feature wise into a entire context with a business model uh, and um, and this is still not cultivated in the industry. And that's why I started AIM Entrepreneur, because I believe that, that if we don't, um, let's say the, the manufacturing world or the industry world uh, can't invest so much time to identify their potential with additive by themselves, because it's way too complex. I am since 12 years there and still discover new things Right. So because there's kind of endless potential and new things and new uh, new technologies is coming up and new case studies. So how how a company, which is a newbie, can take an advantage? 
only for defined AM entrepreneurship. So I, I think that I believe on that and that's why I'm developing a methodology for it. I wrote my master thesis about it. So how to quantify additive manufacturing value used in business models. Um, so we can measure it. If you can measure AM value in a business model, you can convince investors to put money into your business case. Uh, and this is something what, what I invented, um, how to put a measure on an AM value in a business model. Is, and I'm converting that. Is, is that putting value on, say, a, a part business case? Like say, hey, if we lightweight this part, it'll give this amount of value or is it broader than that? Where it's say like, oh, okay. So it's, it's about parts, but it's as, as of course, as well about supply chains. Okay. It's, it's about the degree of innovation. It's, it's about um, sustainability aspects. Uh, it's about quality enhancements uh, and the integration of all of that in, in, in one one manner. So I developed 49 AM value factors, which can be kind of matched with every part requirements. And then we can measure the, the amount of the degree of uh, AM value in the business case or enhance it through, through these factors. And with that, um, the business case design is much more, um, let's say, broader because you don't focus just on lightweightening. Or, or just on uh, on demand for your printing. There's there's kind of you integrate everything what AM can offer and, and design and and yeah a coherent business case. Nice, nice. And so, where are you starting with specific industries or kind of clients? I remember when I started my company, it was like anyone who says yes is my first client. It doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> what industry. So, yeah. what's been your approach? Yeah, so for now, um, I, I am focused more on entrepreneurship. So as, as companies are forced to innovate um, with, with additive, or not forced, but this is one chance to innovate, especially in the manufacturing world, to come up with new products, new features, sustainable solutions for spare parts, etc. So, so here is for sure a focus for now because entrepreneurs um, need to convince internal stakeholders as well to uh, receive um, innovation money. And this is where I help with to, to really have a bulletproof business case uh, using AM potentials, realistically driven. So because I'm, I'm coming from the quality sector, so I can kind of consult as well what is realistically doable with design features and, 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 and part properties. Um, and bringing that together in the business case with AM entrepreneurship mindset, I hope that it helps to, to scale faster uh, the AIM potentials in, in, in great business models. Awesome. That's awesome. I'm excited to, to see where, where you take that. And, and so as, as we kind of wrap up here, I always like to ask kind of the guests, the one final question is you've been in the industry for 12 years now. Um, you've seen a lot, you've seen, facilities on different continents you've made standards you've started your own business um what advice might you give to someone who may be just starting their their career in in this space um, based on your experience um i think develop 
develop your own way um, and, and, and a positive mindset they, because the technology offers so, mu so much value to the humanity. Um, just find, find what, 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 are you, what you are and, and, and stay with that. So either you are an entrepreneur which would like to combine <laughs> everything, which is, uh, I think, the, the holy grail and, and um, challenging, um, but you can get there if you start with technological understanding so either you are an application engineer, this was my path. I started with application engineering, where you get hands-on into the process and, and you commit bottom-up to the potentials of AM. Um, yeah, so this is what I really liked and or what I did, uh, because then you, you know what you're talking about, yeah, because you did it with your hands. So hands-on and always try to find the next step. I experience going for the next step is easier if, if it's a challenging project. So not the easy hurdle, because if you, if you define for your next step some challenging projects, the competitive space is a bit less because nobody wants to touch it. <laughs> but the chance to succeed and the potential in this challenging project is often very high. And you learn a lot in a, in a minimal time frame. So, and, and that's, that's it. So if you can learn a lot in a minimal time frame, if you go for the challenging project, um, then you win. Your personality wins and, and you will become new idea. And, and yeah, and then you create entrepreneurship. Awesome. awesome. Well, wish you the best of luck. Hopefully I'll cross paths with you and sometime this year and some of the conferences coming up and uh, we'll, we'll uh, speak to you then. And hopefully we can jump on up another podcast in a, in a few months and, and get the updates. Thank you so much. Yeah. Look forward to uh, meet you soon again. Sounds good.